0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Going Up Cash weekly feel-good podcast where this week we talk about a remake of my all-time favorite video game, a brand new movie of a iconic franchise, a brand new way of looking at another iconic franchise, and finally what is on the horizon for Critical Role. That's right, this week we talk about Diablo 2 Resurrected and we talk about how that all went. Um, as far as I am concerned, we also talk about Star Wars Visions. I give you a breakdown of the nine brand new Star Wars short films now available on Disney Plus. We also talk about the introduction of Generation 5 of My Little Pony and the movie My Little Pony, a new generation. And finally, we talk about Critical Role Season 3, my predictions, and when we can finally see that airing on our collective internet screens. In other news right here at the top, if you enjoy the Going Up cast and wish to support the Going Up cast, please feel free to visit patreon.com forward slash going where you become a patron and get access to my movie commentary tracks and a couple of exclusive video series over there on that site. We are also ending Midnight Sun very soon. We only have a handful of episodes left by the time you all hear this. And the next audiobook has already begun the recording process. So I feel no... Harmon telling you all that we're going to the land of middle earth next starting with tolkien's fantastic introductory novel the hobbit we're going to start there and quite swiftly move into the mac daddy of all fantasy novels lord of the rings we'll follow the hobbit um i am very excited for this next batch of audiobooks it is they're probably going to be some of my most ambitious audiobooks that i have ever done and I hope you enjoy them as much as I am recording it. Because hot diggity shit, it's just good goddamn stuff. And I'm so oh, fucking, I love it. I love it so goddamn much. Um, outside of that, it's getting october It's getting Halloweeny. Fall has become in full swing. It is right proper chilly as far as I am concerned. I'm wearing fleeced pants pretty much anywhere I go. And uh, I do enjoy my cozy comfies. And I hope you're all having a wonderful whatever, you know, day, week, month, time. Hope everything's going good. But that's enough of me dithering and dathering. Let's get into the podcast. So this one's a bit of a a, a controversial one. Uh, Primarily because of the incredible amount of shitty things that have come out about Activision Blizzard as of late. I do not approve of their terrible business behaviors. And most of the internet does not approve of their terrible business behaviors. Because it's absolutely horrific. And they need to fucking get their shit together. That being said. Diablo 2 is my all-time favorite game hands down bar none full stop all-time favorite game i played it when i was like six years old i absolutely adore it it's my favorite game so when they announced that they were fucking resurrecting or remastering whatever the fuck you want to call it diablo 2 i was very excited and that resurrection has finally come out and as far as i can tell it is essentially a fresh coat of paint on a tremendously well-built house because i mean you can't really fuck with perfection it's the game was perfect when it came out as far as i was concerned um and as far as i can tell i've seen three changes one the new graphics which you can change on a whim at any point to the original graphics by pressing the g key And you can switch back and forth seamlessly at any point in the game. And I do constantly. Because I'm like, switching back and forth just to look at things. That's phenomenal. I love that. I think that should be something in every remaster. I know it probably can't, but it should. And there are actually quite a few games that I've seen that have that graphical option. I think Dragon Quest XI, when I played that for a little bit, had like you can play with the 3d graphics or with some cool pixel graphics you can do that and i thought that was really neat um so yeah the fact that you can do that in diablo is fucking phenomenal and amazing and a plus for that the updated cinematics look fantastic um but then again the cinematics in blizzard games tend to be pretty amazing even though these cinematics weren't actually done by blizzard they were done by the company that remastered this game and they did an amazing job Um, I don't remember the name of that company off the top of my head, but hands off to you. Uh, And then the third thing is that I no longer have to click on gold in order to pick it up. I just need to walk over it. Outside of that, it is the exact same game as I remember growing up. Like, full, full stop. It's, it is truly phenomenal. Um, I played it. Not very long on the... On the day it first came out. Um... But then again, the game itself is not particularly long. You can beat the entire game in about... Six to eight hours. Um... Of course, that's, like... Sprinting, basically. If you explore, like, every zone to 100% completion... It might take you closer to, like, 10 to 15 hours. Um... It is not a particularly long game. But the strength of this game... Is in the repeated plays. That's where this game really shines. Um... So, yeah. A couple of things to note if you do play this game, especially if you play this game with people. Unlike Diablo Three, the loot in the game is not instance-based. Which means if you kill an enemy, what it drops is visible to everyone. So, if you play online with random people, they're going to steal all your shit, and you're going to get fucking bupkiss in terms of loot. And that's pretty much the whole point of the game. So, if you do play with friends, make sure they're friends who are like open and honest about what they're finding... And that you're working together to make sure you're getting good gear and you can always buy gear or better yet you can just wander away from your friends and go kill a bunch of enemies on your own because the enemies do not scale in difficulty with the number of people in the game as far as I can tell at least we were able to bring down Andaril on the first try when normally that fight as a solo endeavor is a pretty strong pain in the ass so yeah um, as far as I can tell the difficulty does not scale and when you do play online with people there are only three difficulty levels normal nightmare and hell um unlike diablo 3 where there's like 18 different difficulty levels um that kind of scale up and i mean it it seems unfair to compare it to diablo 3 because while i may not have appreciated it when diablo 3 first came out diablo 3 does have a lot of quality of life improvements that i'm now looking back on and being like oh yeah you know what that is better um like, the inventory management of Diablo 2 is one of my favorite things. But it is also irritating when you have to go back to town every six seconds, because you can only pick up, like, two or three new items off the ground, because you're so your inventory is just full of charms and potions. Um, and I just need a bigger belt, but I'm working on it. Um, yeah, I mean... I'm I'm so excited to, to play this game, and I already have, like, three different characters, and I'm probably going to make a fourth one here pretty soon. That's just going to be, like, my character to play this game into the ground, because... While I do love playing with friends, the loot thing kind of caught me by surprise and I'm adjusting, you know, but I also just love playing this game and having amazing loot. So I'm probably going to make like a barbarian or a druid just for me, probably both, um, and just have those be like my internal characters. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's been a couple of uh, launch issues, like uh, we we tried to play with my dad and we just could not get the game to launch no matter what we tried. Uh, which at this point I'm chalking up to something wrong on Blizzard, Blizzard's end more than it is, like, us being wrong. Because, I mean, we tried everything. Um, but outside of that, I think the game is, is pretty fucking good. I would love nothing more than for this game not to be, have not to have been released by a company who's in so much fucking hot water right now for being shitty to its employees. Um, but my rationale for this is... There are a lot of fucked up shit people at that particular company but they do not represent the entire company and there's also a lot of really good people at that company who are in a shitty situation and they're trying to make it better um and while i won't play like world of warcraft anytime soon because i'm playing guild wars 2 um i did get diablo because i love the game and it would make me so goddamn happy if blizzard was able to pull out of this fire all of their problematic people and be a respectable company again because when blizzard's on their game they've made some of my all-time favorite games and including this one which is my number one easy diablo 2 is right there at the top uh followed by brutal legend and then persona 5 are my top three so in case anybody was wondering um i'm gonna go to bed because it's Twelve fifteen in the morning, but I wanted to talk about it on uh, the I guess now the day after release day. Uh, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Back in nineteen eighty one, a new toy franchise hit the shelves and kind of took the world by storm for a little bit in the form of these Technicolor Equine Critters, known as My Little Pony. And over the course of the last forty years. The show has gone through, or the franchise rather, has gone through a lot of different iterations. Indeed, it's gone through four generations of this franchise, as far as the shows are concerned. Um, The most recent generation was My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, which ended in 2019, I want to say, after running for almost a decade. um, And kind of changing the world of animation. Um, it kind of became a really big deal, and it's, like, you can't ignore it. It had a huge, sweeping impact across millions of people, creating a fandom the likes of which has few rivals, um, and is still endearingly popular to this day. So, when G5 was announced, taking place in the same world established in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic... A lot of people, myself included, kind of poked our heads out the windows and went really? Same world, you say? Same, same setting, you say? Sorry, I have to close my door. Well color me intrigued, Hasbro. Let's see what's going on here. So a couple of days ago, dropping on Netflix and being released internationally, My Little Pony, a new generation, the start of the fifth form of this particular franchise was released. And the movie itself is pretty fucking good. At the time of recording this, it's sitting pretty at a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't think it deserves such a high score, but I did enjoy the film immensely. Um, If you are a fan of Milo Pony Friendship is Magic, the ending of this movie will not surprise you, as it did not surprise me. Indeed, it is essentially the same plot as the first two episodes of the original show. There is a problem. Except, so here's here's the, the way it breaks down. Spoilers in case anybody cares. Um, essentially, in this world, there's no magic. Uh, and the Earth ponies, the pegasi, and the unicorns do not get along. And they have lore about each other and like the unicorns are they're gonna zap your brain and read your minds and the pegasus are, are brutes and they're just gonna tear you apart and earth ponies are dumb and smell a fish um and my immediate thought was well where the fuck are the wendigos um and so that kind of sets up the, the, the thing so it may say it's in equestria which is fine Um, there's a lot of cool lore in Equestria. It acknowledges the original show and, and like, the prologue. Um, like, the main six characters from the fourth generation are essentially creatures of legend. Um, and we are so far flung in the future that Princess Twilight Sparkle from the fourth show is just not a thing, as far as we can tell. Um, the technology in this show is far and away more advanced. Um... Like, they have, like, trains and... I mean, like, they had trains in Gen 4, but it was, like, steam trains. These are, like, electric trolleys and stuff like that. Um, And there was, like, all sorts of stuff. So, the tech is different. um, And there are no Wendigos anywhere. Um, And outside of having the, the main six from G4 act as, like, legends, I didn't really see a whole lot to tie this show to the one that came before it, which I actually kind of think is smart, because just like Star Trek The Next Generation, and you, this is actually a trope that happens a lot. Star Trek The Next Generation did it, Legend of Korra did it, and this show did it. It acknowledges the previous characters in a way, and then like the torch is handed off to the new generation. In Star Trek, Bones was in like the first couple of episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, remember? He shows up and he's an old man, And he's passing the torch. Katara shows up at the very beginning of Legend of Korra and hands that shit off to Korra. And in this show, you get the main six, they do a little thing, and then they're gone. And then they're just like wooden figures after that. Um, And that is, I think, a really smart way to do it. Because in order for this new generation to stand on its own, you cannot constantly compare it to the one that came before it. The one that came before it was excellent. It achieved a really high bar. It created six incredibly in-depth characters. And this movie had the unenviable task of introducing not only a new cast of characters, but new settings, uh, new songs, new problems, all sorts of stuff. And I actually liked this movie a lot. One thing I appreciated about this movie was that the villain was racism. There, there wasn't even Ipe. There was a, a little attempt at like an air quote big bad, but he's so ineffective as a villain, I wouldn't even call him a villain. He's just like an, an, a misguided child who causes a little bit of a problem. But at the end of the day, the actual villain, the actual problem of the film is racism. It's, It's racism between the three types of ponies because that's like the crux of it, right? So we're introduced to the first character who is named Sunny Starscout. Even though her dad's name is Argyle Starshine. Let's not worry about the actual fucking fact that their last names are different. But whatever. Um, and Argyle is like, long ago, Earth ponies, Pegasi, and Unicorns used to be like the best of friends. And so he taught his daughter Sunny, who is performed by Vanessa Hudgens, um, who does a very good job, uh, that... One day we should, they should all be friends again. And so, uh, Sonny goes on like uh, a fucking stage during like a, a fucking E3 press conference and goes, We should all be friends with these people. Um, and then a an unicorn rolls into town by the name of Izzy Moonbow, uh, who is voiced by T- uh, Kamiko Glenn, who I recently have fallen in love with because Kimiko uh, is the voice of Horse in uh goddamn uh fuck i'm sorry i'm blanking on the goddamn centaur world she's the uh she's the voice in of horse and centaur world and i was just like she's gonna just make tons of money off of playing cartoon horses isn't she (laughs) um but she's fantastic in that show and she naturally is my favorite character in this one um and one thing i thought was interesting was that in, in the fourth show, the this idea of the cutie mark was incredibly prevalent. Um, it was your identity. It was your purpose in life. More often than not, it also had something to do with your name. That was not the case here. They had them, but it didn't come up ever. And there were moments where I thought people may have been actively ignoring their cutie marks. And I think the rationale for this is because there was no magic in the world until the end of the film, which meant the cutie marks were just, like, butt tattoos, essentially. There was no... There was nothing there. Um, and I think that's gonna be covered in the show that follows this. Um, there's a little bit of a hint of this. The the mayor character, played by uh, James Marsden, whose, uh, whose name is Hitch Trailblazer, um... Kept having, like, critters follow him around. And that made me think, like, maybe he's not supposed to be the mayor. He's actually supposed to be more of, like, a fluttershy animal caretaker type character. Um, Which would make sense to me. Because maybe that's his cutie mark. Maybe that's his purpose. But because there's no magic, his cutie mark never, like, activated. So he's not aware of what he's supposed to do. But, like, the animals can sense it because they're animals. Um, And I will also throw this out there. I noticed that there were... It's not just... Um, there were non-horse-based pegasi creatures in this movie. There was, like, a flying dog. Um, and I think we saw, um, something else that flew, like, at the end of the film. Um, and more of, like, a centaur world-style thing where it's like, oh, horses aren't the only ones that get to have different different types of being. All animals have different types. Um, and I thought that was a fun, fun little in there. Anyway... Um, Sunny like, is is doing her thing, and then the unicorn shows up, and Sunny's like, we gotta go talk to the Pegasi, because you, Izzy, can't do magic, maybe the Pegasi know what the fuck is up. And so they go off to Zephyr Heights, which is just a great name for a city, and they run into Zip Storm, voiced by, uh, Liza Koshy, um, who I'm not as familiar with. What have you done? Uh, quite a, quite a lot, it seems. Um... You're in Double Dare. You're the host of Double Dare. The the reboot. Um, A lot of Nickelodeon stuff. Um, Looks like they are a... uh, They starred in some music videos. Yeah, they've they've done some stuff. They do a great job as Zip. Um, I have no idea if the cast of the movie will continue to be the cast of the show. Part of me thinks probably not. That's not usually how this goes. Um... But I could, I could see it happening. Um, you just gotta pay them enough. And then they'll do it. Um, but I thought everybody in this show did a great job. Anyway, Zip is actually a princess. And uh, she and her family, the, the royal family, um, are apparently the only pegasi who can fly. But then it's later found out that that's a sham and they use wires. Um, because nobody can fly because you can't fly without magic. Uh anyway, they identify in this room of like the past when everybody got along that there are some mystical crystals um those that belong to each type of pony. Uh so they need to unite the crystals in order to bring magic back. So they steal the Pegasus one, and then they go off to Unicorn Town, where there's this adorable little um montage of them all getting horns. And then they go challenge Philomar uh fucking um unicorn whose name is uh, Biddle, which is pretty good, uh, to DDR, um, and they beat him, but then it's revealed that they're not unicorns. And so Biddle gets all pissy, um, and then they try to put the crystals together and nothing happens. Um, And I'm sitting there the whole time going, there's a third crystal, there's a third crystal, there's a third crystal, there's a third crystal. And it's not until like about 10 minutes later after they give up and fail and go home and cry that they discover the third crystal. And then I'm like, "Faye, you found it. Um, and then, uh, this, the ineffective villain character, voiced by Ken Jong, named Sprout Cloverleaf, who, that's all he really warrants. He's not a bad character, he just doesn't matter. That's, there's a difference. He's a fine character, he's just like a sniveling little mama's boy, but he doesn't matter to the plot. He's not the point of the movie. He is like a a D-plot in a movie where there's only an A and a D-plot. He's not even the B-plot. Like, he's so far down, um... It's such a weird thing. It's not like I don't understand It's what it's trying to do. Um, you know, when people are scared, they turn to war, essentially. Through fear of the unknown. Um, but he doesn't do anything. He builds a giant robot, and he, he destroys a lighthouse. And then he feels bad for it. And then he's not even punished for it at the end of the movie. So, it's all for nothing, really. Um... Anyway, they try to put the crystals together, and hey, guess what? It doesn't work. Cough, cough, Elements of Harmony, episode one. Um, because the real magic is the friends we made along the way, not the fucking crystals. Even though the crystals then prove to be magical. Um, and give Sunny uh, Starca- Star cat um, spectral wings and a spectral horn, making her like a celestial alicorn. Um, I don't know if that's permanent or what, but the movie ends with those things still intact. So part of me thinks that, yeah, it might be permanent. And part of me is like, well, I know she's the main character, but why did she get it? You know? Like, fucking Izzy was there putting the puzzle pieces together. She only just gets the horn. Is that what makes her special? So, um, although I do also appreciate the fact that unlike Generation 4, which took three seasons to give Twilight wings, uh, they gave Sunny horn and wings turning into an alicorn right at the fucking gate. So we barely even had time to be used to her as an earth pony before all of a sudden she's rocking all the magic. Um, So that's fun. And I'm sure we're going to get into some some fun hijinks in the show of her, like, getting used to her her new abilities. You know, like the rest of the world who now all of a sudden have magic after supposedly centuries, at the very least, without it. Um, Because I don't understand how we can go from... The princess of friendship ruling Equestria to they don't get along if thousands of years do not pass by. So that's that's the thing. Which is kind of a bummer because that all but eliminates the possibility of cameos from from the original, from Gen 4. Um, but here's what I'm wondering. At the end of Gen 4, it was not just Earth Ponies, Pegasi, and Unicorns. There were dragons, there were hippogriffs, there were griffins, there were yaks, there's all sorts of shit. Where the fuck are they? So, I don't, like, (laughs) I'm all for putting it in the same world. But if you don't do anything with that world, then why even bother? You gotta call this Bequestria and just put an end to it. So, maybe, like, I know there's a lot of rich stuff that they can explore in the show but it just seems so strange that they even bothered to mention that it's set in the same place years after it just it doesn't do anything for the plot really um so that's that's like my biggest nitpick if you're gonna do that do it don't half-ass it Um, anyway the acting was great the animation I actually really loved Um, I thought I was gonna struggle with seeing this all in like 3D CGI, um, but I thought it was, it was really, like, good. Like, actually shockingly good for, like, a Netflix, straight to Netflix movie. Um, oh god, my phone's, sorry. Oh shit, shut up. Jesus! There we go, alright. Sorry about that. Yeah, the animation's really good, um, made by Boulder Media and Entertainment One, um, and I believe Entertainment One is the same company behind uh, Gen 4. So pretty sure. Uh, Megan McCarthy, uh, who was one of the main writers and creative people behind Gen 4 is an executive producer in this movie. The movie is good. Um, if there's if there's one thing I want to kind of poke at, it's the music. The music is good. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the music. The, the, my issue is that for me at least, cause I'm, this is ju- this is pure personal taste. It's, it's a little too current poppy, like for, for my liking, it's just not my, my jam. Um, if I were to compare this music to the music of Centaur World, which I do think is fairly apt since they're both like brand new and fairly similar, um, that I prefer the music in Centaur World a bit more like musical theater and and broadway and this is more like top 40 um again it's not bad everybody can sing amazingly well it's they're catchy songs it achieves what it wants to i'm not degrading it i'm just saying it's not really what i personally enjoy but hey that's fine so and i do appreciate a movie where the villain is like conflict between people and not like oh my god here comes you know, big dick moron who's gonna come and romper stomp all over a goddamn city and kill us all. Nah, no, it's not that. The problem's racism, man. And just because, like, fear and all that shit, goddamn it, I love it. It's just good goddamn messages. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's, it's very innocent and simple to watch. Um, I would recommend it if this is your jam. You'll, you will know if this is your jam already but here's the thing I would sooner recommend you go back and watch the fourth-generation show um, if you're going to do anything because I was hooked on G4 right at the gate I liked those characters more I liked the story it told more and I liked its setup more I like this show or this movie I like the characters and I like where it's going I just don't like it as much as I did back then uh, with Gen 4. So that's that's kind of my takeaway. If you're gonna like breach the gap into anything, I'd go back personally. But who knows? Maybe maybe once this thing is an actual TV show coming out eventually, and then um then we can kind of reassess it. Um, apparently, there's also going to be a uh, a 44 minute special um would release on the streaming servers following the film. Is what it says it depicts more adventures with the friends after the events of the film and they're gonna make some made for YouTube web content as well so yay Um, we have no idea on release dates at least I don't it'll come out eventually but I'm gonna keep my uh keep my eye on it and we'll see how it goes because right now it's off to a pretty decent start it just needs to kind of I think it just needs to go deeper right now it's fairly surface level I don't really know a lot about these characters Um, I just, I just need to hear a little bit more from them and then, uh, and then we'll see. Also, it does bother me that there's only, um, five of them. (laughs) Uh, like I know it's like, it was like the main six. That was their thing. There's only five of them. There's two earth ponies, two pegasi and one unicorn. We just need a second unicorn. It upsets me. It's unbalanced. I need a, I need a second unicorn. Please make it an even number. It upsets me more than I realized. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Time to talk about something I don't usually talk about on the podcast, and that is Star Wars. My uh, views of Star Wars are that it's fine. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've seen all the movies and all that jazz, um, but it's it's definitely not like my favorite world to be in. However, when I heard about Star Wars Visions, which were nine short films directed by or created by um, famous Japanese animation studios, I was intrigued because while I think the movies. Are fairly lackluster the world of Star Wars is ripe for storytelling and I was excited to see nine short films set in the Star Wars universe they're a little repetitive the the sheer number of I believe like there's nine of them I think a third of them are about somebody becoming like a Jedi and being gifted like a lightsaber and being like you must be one with the force um and that happenstance makes me think like th- these studios were basically given like you can make one of these five stories. Um and I would back up that with conf- that back up that theory with confidence if it wasn't for like the two or three stories in this group that were so fucking different that I don't think that's the case. So I just think that there was, there was a little bit of repetition um, in terms of some of the story with minor detail changes here and there. Um, and by and large, they're pretty good. My favorite is probably... I think I'll figure that out as we go through them. So let's just talk about them in order. The first special, animated by Kamikaze uh, Duga, who I'm unfamiliar with, is called The Duel. Um, it is uh, like... A feudal japan sort of deal yet it still has like space travel and droids and jedis and shit um and there is this uh i think it was a i think it was called ronin so it's like a ronin warrior um who wanders into a village and then the village is attacked by a bunch of bandits and one of the bandits has a a fucking red lightsaber uh and they have constructed this almost like umbrella stand like Spinning dervish weapon where the blade of the lightsaber is divided into like a spoke wheel and it just like <laughs> spins in a circle and deflects bullets. Um, which is fucking cool. And then the Ronin like steps in and reveals that they also have a red lightsaber. Um, and through some trickery and some droid nonsense, there he's able to, to save the village. Um, and he is like collecting red kyber crystals. Um, from sith that he is fucking annihilating um and that's another trend uh if it isn't gifting the lightsaber to somebody it's it talks about kyber crystals like a lot the cynical side of me thinks that the kyber crystals come up so many times in these short films to end the like it's all about kyber crystals and lightsabers which makes me think that maybe this was done so that when people go to star wars land in the disney parks they'll want to build their own lightsabers and learn about kyber crystals that's the cynical part of me i think it's just an interesting story um thread i just think it's curious that almost completely separate of each other these studios decided to more or less tell the same story however some of these um specials are actually animated by the same studio two studios did two episodes so perhaps there's there's some crossover there anyway um that first uh uh short film the duel isn't anything special the animation's pretty cool basically um you could pause it at any point and it looks like it'd be done like 2d um it's black and white except for the red of like except for like the lights of droids and leds and then the lightsabers are like the only color in this in this special um which is kind of cool. And every time we see like new force powers, I'm always intrigued. Like, this dude catches the lightsaber between his hands using the force, which I thought was a pretty neat move. Um, the cast uh, notable people in this one are Lucy Liu, Brian T, and Jaden Waldman um, are, the, are the voice actors who are called out for this one. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. I don't know all of this off the top of my head. The second special is called Tatooine Rhapsody. This one might be my favorite. We'll determine by the end. So, this is about a fucking band by the name of Star Waver, and their bassist is a hut named Gee. And Jabba is like fucking pissed at Guy for not joining the syndicate, the hut syndicate. So, he sends Boba Fett after the bassist in order to fucking execute him. And uh, the band chases after Guy to Tatooine. And they're like, we convinced Jabba to let us play one last song like before they execute you. And the song is so good that Jabba the Hutt goes like, you know what? I'm going to sponsor your, your band, and I'm going to let you all live. And that's the fucking special. Um, the cast of this one is fairly surprising. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bobby Monahan, uh Tamora Morrison, of course Boba Fett, Shelby Young, and Mark Thompson Uh, this one is animated by Studio, uh, Colorado, um, who I, I know for doing a whisker away. And that's pretty much it. Um, and that's like that weird cat anime movie. Um, really good animation. Like really, like all the animation in this is excellent. The whole Star Wars visions thing is has really good animation, but I mean a fucking like a, star wars thing about a band just trying to make it happen make the dream happen and they use music to save the dude's life 10 out of 10 that shit was fucking great um and that's just like a good story you know and it just happens to be set in star wars and like the lead singer just happens to also be a jedi padawan and he turns his fucking broken lightsaber into a microphone fucking hell yes that shit was great so i fucking loved tattooing rhapsody that was that was a really good one Next up is The Twins which is interesting in terms of what it does uh, the the two actors of note in this one are Neil Patrick Harris and Allison Brie um who are both phenomenal basically it's these it's a it's a twin set that were raised um in the dark side like with the with the power of the Sith within them they joined two star Destroyer, destroyers with a big ass fucking cannon a la the death star capable of destroying planets um kare neil patrick harris has a change of heart wants to destroy the the power source for the weapon Am, uh the allison brie wants to get the weapon they basically duel um and uh they have a huge epic battle um um kind of explodes uh and kare uses his x-wing and The hyperspace thing to cut the star cruisers like in half and he crash lands on tatooine and then he goes like my sister's still out there somewhere i'm gonna go find her and that's how that special ends with like all of these kind of act like they can continue which is the beauty of a of a short story um that one's fairly intriguing i think i would enjoy seeing more of that i don't think we ever will but i would enjoy seeing more of that that one was animated by studio trigger uh, who did Kill a Kill, Little Witch Academia, a lot of a lot of big stuff, but I mean, pretty much pretty much those two, those two big ones, Kill a Kill. I mean, that's a good goddamn animation studio. Um, this one's fairly the animation of it and the action of it are the highlights in this one. The story itself is fairly meh. It plays with some neat ideas. The performances are really good, but for me it was the action and the all of that stuff. I thought that was pretty great. The fourth story is called The Village Bride. Um this one was fairly forgettable. Uh like bad guys show up, threaten to take the like take over the the village or whatever. They have to surrender like the chief in order uh for the bandits to not want to kill everybody. Uh then the bandits go back on their word because like the chief's daughter's sister or whatever wanted to fight back against the bandits and they lose. Then a Jedi pops in and goes and fucking saves everybody. Um and the Jedi's name is F I don't fucking no. Uh, cast for this one is K- uh, Karen Fukuhara, uh, Nicole Sakura, Christopher Sean, um, and others. I don't recognize their names as, as quickly, so yeah. This one's fine. Animated by uh, Kinema Citrus. Who? Let's see. What did you do? Anything I would know? Codebreaker, Black Bullet, do um, do 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 do. Maiden Abyss. I'm not familiar with. Oh, Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky. That's fun. And uh, yeah, Star Wars vision. Um, Good animation, fairly forgettable. You Could probably skip it. It, it, The story didn't do much for me on that one, unfortunately. The Ninth Jedi, this one I thought was pretty good. So this one is uh, an an order goes out, like a message, a missive to the stars goes out for uh, remaining Jedi to come to this temple. ...to be gifted a lightsaber because apparently there just aren't any left in this area. Um, and a there's this dude just making all these sabers. And he goes like, I've made it so whoever holds a lightsaber... Um, ...like their being dictates like the color and the size of the lightsaber. Which I was like, that's a neat mechanic. Um, and then he like... Uh, some people land on the planet and he gives the sabers to his daughter... ...to go like deliver to um, these, these Jedi. And uh, of course he unfortunately just completely kicks the bucket... Um, But she goes on this nice, quick little journey um, to go to this planet to deliver the lightsabers. And the the would-be Jedis are standing there. And they she hands out the lightsabers and then goes, where's the Margrave? Who's like the person who summoned all the Jedi. And they're like, we don't know. Um, and they all activate their lightsabers. And they're all fucking red. And it turns out it's a bunch of Sith here to destroy the Jedi. And the Margrave reveals himself. And it's that dude, one other dude, and one other dude, and the little girl all fight the Sith. And, like, fucking whoop all their asses. And um, her lightsaber goes from, like, this weird non-colored lightsaber thing to green. And uh, they all, like, the Margrave, the little girl, and then, like, the two others who were who good Jedi go, like, we need to track down and find your dad um, and save him. And I was like, that looks like just a really good show right there. You know, it's a nice little bundle of Jedi. Uh, cast for this one's pretty good. Kamiko, Glenn. Fucking she's making a name for herself in the animation world, isn't she? She's been in a bunch of shit lately, so good job, Kimiko Glenn. Uh, let's see who else we got. Andrew Kashino, uh, uh, Simu Lee from goddamn Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, Masai Oka, uh, Greg Chun, Neil Kaplan, and Michael Sinterklaus. Sinterklaus? Something like that. Uh, animated by Production IG. What are you known for? A whole bunch of stuff. They've been in they've been making animations since nineteen eighty seven. Uh, looks like they did Parappa the Rappa. Um, Ghost Hound. I'm just like reading random names. I'm not recognizing any of this. Dulutu. a big pedigree though. Um Haikyu. Uh, I I know that one is pretty popular. Uh, Attack on Titan Junior High. What the fuck is that? I don't even I don't even wanna know. I don't even wanna know what that is god damn um looks like they did a shit ton of ovas uh oh films maybe that'll do oh, oh wow look at that neon genesis evangelion so yeah these guys are fucking legit uh and they have animated quite a bit Psychopass, ghost in the shell the deer king that sounds kind of cool um bunch of video games sakura wars fire emblem wario land They did the cutscenes for Warland, Kid Icarus Uprising. They did the animated cutscenes for Persona 5. Holy fuck. Yeah, production IG. I mean, the animation in that one was fucking phenomenal, so I'm not surprised. Number six. T-O-B-I, or Toby, depending on how you want to go at it. Uh, Jaden Waldman, who was actually in the first special as well. Um, And uh, Kyle Chandler. Um, It's basically a story about this... uh, The animation of this one is particularly adorable. Science Saru, uh, where is the animation studio behind this one. Uh, And they are known for... Space Dandy. Devilman Crybaby. There you go. Um, I've heard that's good. And... Okay, KO. Let's be heroes. Um, Very, like, round shapes and very, like, innocent-looking animation. Um, Basically, this old man um, by the name of uh, Mataka builds just a shit ton of robots and he makes like this astro boy-esque little character named tobi or toby um and toby has dreams of becoming a jedi knight one day and so the old man goes like you must find the kyber crystal somewhere on this planet and the kid goes out to try and find the kyber crystal eventually can't find it goes back to the house and he he goes into the forbidden basement he was never allowed to go into and discovers a starship and he basically prank calls the galaxy and some fucking evil sith dude hears him and goes a jedi must still be alive and so eventually the dude like lands on the planet Um, but the old man, like, hides Toby away to protect him, and when Toby eventually gets free, like, the whole planet has just been fucking annihilated, and so Toby just, including the old man, and Toby goes, I'll continue my dad's work, and starts to bring, like, life back to the planet, and eventually does build his lightsaber, and when he does that, the the Sith guy comes back, and he goes, where have you been hiding, and they fucking fight um, and then, uh, Toby uses the power of, like, his, all his robot friends to become, like, Super Toby, and kills the, the Sith guy, and the, he just fucking explodes, and then he like, I'm gonna explore this galaxy and uphold my master's legacy by bringing life and peace to the universe. A lot of, lot of young Jedis being set off on their grand journey to protect the universe being established in these, uh, these little short films. Um, this one was pretty good. Uh, it's definitely, definitely worth, worth a watch. So for the only ones I would skip are, I mean, if, if you don't want to watch them all, I would recommend you watch the second one, um, the fifth one. Let's see if there are any others. Number seven, The Elder. Once again, animated by Studio Trigger. Um, this one is about, uh, uh, dope-ass Jedi and his little buddy. Um, and they're basically just exploring and all that stuff, and... Uh, the Jedi feels the disturbance in the forest and they land on this really remote planet with, like, a bunch of shy people and they find this old man, um, who's just known as, like, the Elder, uh, who turns out to be, uh, a fucking Sith asshole who left before, like, the Order died. And, uh, he almost... The Sith guy almost kills, like, the Padawan and then the the Jedi fucking takes him out and there's a lot of wise wisdom lessons learned in this one. Uh, casting for this one is pretty good. David Arbor is the, uh... The fucking old man Jedi, uh, the evil dude is played by James Hong, classic beloved. Everybody loves James Hong, and then the Padawan is actually Jordan Fisher, who I probably should have recognized. Um, animation was really good, short sweet story. I like the wisdom. It was just nice to see like a Jedi and a Padawan just like go out and do the thing, and um, it's a uh, it's good stuff. Number eight. Oh, this one was fucking phenomenal. Animated by Geno Studio. The animation of this one. I think might be the best out of all of it like and it's i'm kind of amazing because they've only been an animation studio for five years i don't recognize their pedigree to be honest like it looks like they've done some anime but i don't recognize Uh, uh golden kamui pet i don't i've never heard of these but the animation quality of this shit was fucking incredible lope and ocho this is um uh, lope or lop or whatever you want to call her uh alien uh rabbit like alien uh is adopted by a family who are in a bit of a disagreement with like the the empire working and living on their planet uh to provide like technology the dad's like this shit's bullshit the daughter's like no the shit's rad ocho she turns to the the empire side or the dark side Um, and then the old man gives Lop a lightsaber and there's this big epic battle and it's kind of fucking rad. Um, that one I think is the best one. Lop, Lop It, it does an incredible job of establishing these characters and making you care about them. And of all the stories in this thing to talk, to do the giving some ex a lightsaber so they can go defeat an evil. This one's my favorite. Not the least of which being that the fucking rabbit-like aliens uh, that Lope was was fucking really well done and yeah I I, I enjoyed this one uh, a bunch Anna Cathcart uh, was Lop Hiromi Dames Paul Nakauchi and Kyle McCarley are the voice actors on that one so yeah Uh, the final one which is probably not the one I would have picked to be the final one um, mostly because it ends on kind of a downer um, and that's a car, a car. animated once again by Science Saru, uh, who did the Toby one um, from from earlier. This one is about um, uh, there's a Jedi named Subaki, uh, who has just a fuck ton of visions about um, somebody dying in front of them, and then he uh, reunites with like this princess, and she's like, "You gotta help me save my 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 family and my castle." And so they travel um, with some like dipshittily uh, guides who are like all cowardy and stuff like that. They eventually make it back to the castle uh, where Tsubaki um fights like this uh goddamn Sith uh who's like, You will join me, Subaki, and he's like, No. And uh he kind of freaks out and starts just killing a whole bunch of people that he thinks are enemies and he eventually strikes down Misa um, and he's like so fucking bummed out about it and the the sith is like join me and we can bring her back together and he's like really and so he joins her um and they do indeed bring her back to bring her back to life like instantly um and then he's like well fuck well now i'm just a man of my word and so he turns to the dark side and leaves and uh misa just like starts crying and so that one's kind of a bummer i don't understand why he like goes with the sith like he got what he wanted he could have just like not done that but maybe he was just so full of guilt or whatever cast for this one Henry Golding playing Tsubaki Jamie Chung George Takai Kyung Young and uh, Lorraine Toussaint Toussaint Um, was uh, the cast for Akari Um, Akakiri sorry that one that one's fine alright you have a limited amount of time you can only watch three I say you watch um, I would go 852 in that order um actually no i would go five, eight, two. Eight is is excellent two is my favorite and five is just really solid um i'm not saying the rest are bad but they are lesser than those three in my opinion um that would be that would be my recommendation if you could only watch three watch the 5th one, watch the 8th one and then watch the 2nd one cuz the 2nd one is just fucking great. The only thing I have to say bad about the 2nd one is that the song they use to convince Jabba to not fucking brutalize them is only okay. Instrumentally it's it's awesome, but the lyrics didn't translate over very well and that's probably like the the one thing where I'm like, "Yeah, I wish I wish that was that was done just a little bit better." Overall, I thought it was pretty good I've seen a couple of these anthology movies in the past and the beauty of them is that if you don't like one chances are you're gonna like another one it's kind of like an album you know it's an album of movies um, you just it's just different tracks and different songs and so I, I enjoyed that um, and I enjoyed the fact that it was set in Star Wars and this is something I feel like could happen forever you know there could be so many seasons of Star Wars visions, uh, different studios, different stories, different characters. It has the potential to go on forever, and I mean, it it did well enough in terms of critical reviews that I think we we stand a pretty decent chance uh, to see more of this stuff in the not too distant future. Um, I would personally be a really big fan of that. Um, so I thought it was I thought it was awesome, and I'm glad that Disney is taking. To me, this is a risk. You know, it is it is definitely a different way to go with Star Wars um, and to give it in the hands of storytellers who might not normally have the opportunity to stel- tell stories in this world, I thought was, was pretty cool. So I appreciated it. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Finally this week, let's talk about season three of Critical Role. We know a couple of things that have been recently announced, including the in-canon location that we will be beginning season three, as well as the release date. October twenty-first will be the first episode of episode episode of season three of Critical Role. Uh, it is also airing in Cinemark theaters around the uh, the country, including Olympia, which is the closest one available to me. I will most likely not be making that journey because I don't want to sit in a movie theater. Um, period. Let alone for uh, the length of time it will take to see the first episode of season one, which, according to the Cinemark website, is about four and a half hours long, which is on par with how long Critical uh, Role episodes tend to go. We know a couple of things. One, the episodes are going to continue to be pre-recorded, which is perfectly fine. Um, there's literally no difference between pre-recorded and live, uh, except they just can't do live giveaways um, with the actors. They can just do them like in between if they so choose. Um, it makes it easier for them to produce the episodes, which is fantastic, um, and all of that stuff. We also know that they are sitting next to each other, again, based on promo footage that they showed us during this announcement, which is really the bit I cared about. Um, and we know that this world will be in Marquette which is a land that has been touched upon briefly in a couple of uh, adventures with Vox Machina. That's where they met Tarion Darrington. Uh, That is where they had the uh, Dallin's Closet one shot. Um, We know Marquette to be fairly Morocco inspired. Um, It is a predominantly Southern continent, very warm, very tropical. Uh, Should be a different kind of beast than what we've experienced before. Um, some folks are uh, understandably concerned about an all-white cast being in a, uh African-inspired continent, um, but we will just kind of have to wait and see how that goes and see what they end up doing. Um, I'm excited to get more uh, information about Marquette. Um, it is one of two continents that have been touched on briefly throughout Critical Role that have not been very well fleshed out, much like how Wildmount wasn't very understood until we got season two critical role and now i understand wild mount pretty dang well so going into marquette to me makes a lot of sense i'm excited to see what they end up doing um there were some some comments where it's like uh we're we're trying all these new storytelling things for season three so uh throw out all of your expectations which i think freaked out a lot of people myself included because i was like what the fuck are you doing why are you changing the no i don't like change um and i've seen a couple of uh pretty decent theories on what the fuck they're talking about. Um, I can see things like potentially including animation um, to try and expedite some of the like character backstory stuff might be a thing. Uh, Bringing in uh, guest um, stars to not only play like player characters but maybe play some like pivotal NPCs like maybe some villains will be played by guest actors um, which I think will only enhance the storytelling experience. Um, Who knows really? We, We have no idea. Um, I'm just thinking that they may be trying to tell more of a story and try and steer away from some of the more mechanic aspects of of Dungeons and Dragons. Like maybe they have they're coming up with ways to expedite combat, um, which would be interesting. Uh, I imagine a lot of people would be fairly upset with that, but I am I'm I'm thinking it might be something in that milieu. Um, ways of making some of the slower and more Like, method, like gameplay elements. I think they're going to try to workshop some of that stuff into more streamlined, narrative focused ways. That's my prediction. I have absolutely no idea. We truly won't know until we get in there. Um, For all we know, they could have just overstated something really simple that they're like, no, we're just going to have like this little tracker at the bottom um, and that's it. But who the fuck knows? Um, I'm very excited for season three, of course. Um, It's actually coming around. Uh, pretty much right when I thought it was going to. It's been about, when it airs, it'll have been about three months since the end of, um, season two. And that's about your lot. Um, yeah. So, very excited. Um, I can't wait to to watch those episodes and keep, keep, uh, up with this new adventure of, of level one characters. And see what they make and what kind of story they tell. Um, I think it will be a lot of fun. And I hope you had a lot of fun listening to this week's episode of the Going Up cast. I apologize again for not having one last week, but as I've stated before, if I don't have enough material to make an episode, I just won't make an episode. I refuse to put out episodes that are bad. Um, and that is that is the long and the short of it. So I hope you enjoyed this one, and I will see you all potentially next week with another brand new episode. Have a good one, everyone.